Hi folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Mills and the Fourth. On today's episode, we have wrestler Trevor Eon. We're talking about getting smartened up, wrestling overseas, Satanism, and other topics. What'd you grow up on wrestling-wise, WCW or WWF? I grew up on WCW, actually, because I grew up in Atlanta. So, when I started watching wrestling, and to be fair, like, I technically started wrestling, watching wrestling in, like, 89, 90, when I was, like, four or five, I guess, or whatever. And, um, but WCW was the first thing I saw, because I think, like, my grandma was watching, like, I don't know, Saturday Night or Worldwide or one of those, like, you know, one of those kind of shows oh, yeah. that I walked in on, and then I kind of discovered, like, WWF by proxy, because, like, new guys would come in, and where the hell did that guy come from? And then I found out that, oh, there's another company, and I started watching that, too, and then here we are. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw WCW, like, it was Halloween Havoc, and it was weird because it looked grittier, but there was something about it, though, right? Like, it didn't look like what I was watching, like, with with WWF. It didn't look like that. There's something about it, like, it looked like a boxing match or something, the way it was produced and everything. But you know what? I think I think that was the plan. I think they wanted it to look like that. Because, like, he... I remember seeing, like, an interview with, with uh, uh, Eric Bischoff, where he was, like going for like a more he was saying he was like going for a more realistic whatever and he was trying to have like a lot of guys were using like their real names and shit like that which you know since that was what i was first introduced to i didn't really know any better i was like oh okay that's i thought that's just how wrestling was so i started watching wwf at the time and there was more like craziness and like outlandishness before you know before nitro went to hell because <laughs> so. I remember like watching both and I remember the first episode of Monday Night Raw right and I was like hey this kind of looks like that Saturday morning show I would see you know and of course I was there for like you know the Mega Powers thing I remember seeing all that Um, it's like a, so it's kind of like I remember seeing it but I remember like really starting to form and you know around you know I, I, it was kind of weird I always see almost, dare I say it was like a wrestling civil war you know, north versus south. Yeah, yeah, we were, we were like, I remember like as a kid, in like middle school and high school, like we were, you know, we were doing the same stupid, the same stupid shit like they're doing now, or your team AEW, your team WWE or whatever, we were doing the same thing back then, but we kind of grew out of it, like I grew out of it when I got in high school, and I started watching like indie wrestling, like, Ring of Honor kind of was becoming a thing, and, like, YouTube was kind of, you could find wrestling on YouTube, and, of course, I had stayed up on, like, Japanese wrestling the whole time, too, which is really what I, that was really my favorite, but it was hard to, back, like, in the 90s, it was hard to, you know, it wasn't easy to find, like, you weren't just finding Japanese wrestling like that back then without getting a tape. Correct. You had to know somebody knew somebody, you know? It was almost like tape training Japanese animation back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was because we did that too. All right, so I remember like you saying like you got into the business actually because a friend of yours became a wrestler, right? Yep. He uh. So in chemistry class, we used to sit talking about wrestling. That's all we did. We paid no attention. <laughs> we paid no attention to class. We were terrible students. But we could talk about wrestling all day. And uh, one day, like, like he added me on Facebook, and we just kind of talked back and forth, and it never came up. And then one day he was just like, hey, man, you know, we used to talk about wrestling all the time. Well, I'm a wrestler now. And I was like, what? Oh, cool. He invited me to the show. I went to the show. And um, as soon as I saw that it was, like, possible for you to do that, because before, I was just like, I don't know how to get into wrestling. I don't know who you talk to. And then I spent about a week at WWE 4 at the time. Like, Mr. Hughes was still the trainer. And, like, there was an older guy named Frank that, I guess, like, owned the building. But uh, at the time, I was very poor, and I could not afford it. So I was able to spend the $300 that I saved um, <laughs> to go for the week. But I couldn't go back because I couldn't afford to because there was a lot more money that and I was just like man damn 
luckily at that indie show, my friend sent me to, or invited me to, I should say, a guy sent me to my trainer, Michael Taylor, in Atlanta. It was way more affordable for a poor dude living by himself with a car note and some high rent <laughs> and no roommates at the time. It was back in fucking 2010. And, uh, yeah, and then it just ended up working out, working out like that. And here we are, almost 10 years later. I'm noticing, I'm really noticing, like, a lot of people, are, people I've interviewed over the last, it seems like over the last 10 years, there's been, like, this wave of wrestlers. It seems like around 2009 to 2010, maybe 2011, mm-hmm. they all popped up, you know? Like, yeah. and they're all, like, your age, right? Like, I was talking to uh, Ronnie, uh, Big Bang Nicole, and mm-hmm. she mentioned she started around, you know, around the same amount, around the same year, actually, around 2010 or 2011 or 20, or 2009. You know, same thing with Barrington, all those guys. Oh, wow. They've been, I've been wrestling around the same amount of time as them. Yeah, yeah. apparently so. Like, oh, they're, really, my, they're my peoples. I love, uh, I love Ronnie and, and Barrington. Barrington's cool as shit. They're always, uh, Ronnie's always looking out for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Ronnie's you know, Ronnie's great too, you know. Really good talker, you know. Oh God, yeah. She uh, I don't. I hope she gets the credit she deserves eventually. I mean, she does get to travel back and forth to Japan, which is great because that's what I want to do. So okay, I will gladly follow her footsteps. All right, hand to God. I thought she was like half Japanese. Did you really? Yes. <laughs> Because like a lot of black Japanese wrestlers, they have she has she shares an aesthetic, you know. I didn't know she's like Latina. I was like, oh shit, she is. Yeah, she's like, hey, she made her abundantly clear. She's like, she's a queer Afro Latina woman, you know, from the Damn. south. So that was her direct direct quote, you know. Respect. Yep. All right. So, all right. So, when you get smartened up though, because I feel like there's more levels than I realize. I ain't gonna lie, like. I honestly didn't really get smartened up until I got in the business. Like I don't get me wrong, I went through my smart mark phase when I was, you know, high school. Oh, 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 Loki's the best. AJ Styles is the best. They do the coolest moves. They hit really hard. Dibber, 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 dibber. I was, you know, a dumb, a dumbass smart mark like all the other stupid, stupid ass teenagers who think they understand pro wrestling. And uh when I, I remember the first day I went to training, like Micah asked me, like, okay, so what do you know so far? And I, and against, and since I had way better judgment, I was like, I'm going to just be real and just say, I don't know anything. Like, I really, because no matter what I read, like on the dirt sheets or on the forums or message boards or whatever, I knew, like, from the first, that first week when I went to WA4 for that week, I had no idea what the fuck, I didn't really know the intricacies. I acted like it, but I learned very quickly that, oh, yeah, I ain't no shit. I ain't no nothing. Understood. So you didn't try to get all Dave Meltzer and everything? No, no. I I didn't really, I didn't even feel like I really knew what the hell was going on until, like, recent years. <laughs> Talking, like, maybe my seventh, seventh or eighth year, I started to feel like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get this. That's why I have a hard time. If you watch especially if you watch some of my recent matches, you can tell I have a hard time being a selfish asshole and, like, trying to do all these cool things that I can do or do things that will just benefit me. I'm always trying to, like, protect the other guy, look out for the other guy, or trying to figure out how to, like, help them get over or make or not ruin, not hurt what he's doing. And sometimes to my detriment, but it is what it is. <laughs> Actually, that's a smart thing to do because I never forget that one episode of wait, what's it called again? Um, it was that show on um, on Fox with uh, Booker T, Renee Young, and CM Punk were popping on there. That is weird to say. And Booker T made a really good point. He was all right, out of respect. I'm not going to do a Booker T impression. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, what else? But what he said was the consensus was on the lines of he doesn't. He doesn't worry about a guy to make him look good. He looks for a guy to keep him safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. well, shit. I thought that was I thought those go hand in hand. But then I realized, wait, no, they don't. Mm-mm. You know. 
especially that one movie posted up earlier today, actually, I was like, that looked pretty cool. <laughs> What's it called again? The Bitter Collapse. Alright, when I saw that, it looked kind of Japanese to me, actually. Um, you know, if it's been done before, I wouldn't be surprised if it had been done in Japan. But I brainstormed that on my way to training that day. And I was like, I'm going to try this thing and see if it works. You know, training is where you go to try out new moves, blah, 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 see how it works. And, uh, yeah, I, I wanted something where I spin the guy. Like, I just wanted something where I could spin the guy. And that's where the, that ended up being what I came up with. Yeah, because I've never seen that move before, actually, because I'm like, I mean, my eyes kind of got wide, too, got a little bit wide, actually, because the first time I had that kind of reaction when I first saw Tiger Drive 91. Oh, God. Same. <laughs> Same kind of reaction. I was like, oh, shit. You know? Yeah, because I've never seen that move before. Like, I don't, I try not to just outright claim that I innovated something if I've never seen it before. But usually I'll put it up to, like, the internet, and I'll be like, hey, no one's ever done this before. I'm claiming it. Smart so, move. as of right now, since I posted that recently, if no one's ever done that before, I'm claiming that Trevor Young innovated it. Nice. But by all means, if it turns out that someone did it before me, hmm. all respect goes to them. Because hmm. I was thinking about, speaking of unseen moves before, I was thinking like, all right, the DDT and everything, right? Because apparently, yeah. is it true that Jake St. Roberts created that, or did somebody kind of stumble upon that too by coincidence? I, the story I, I heard was that it was a, a, a mistake. And um, it just spiraled from there because then, you know, he made the initial mistake and then he perfected it and made it a devastating maneuver that I wish we would have protected. Damn it. But I'm going to tell you a funny thing. So when I, so I used to use the D, a version of the DT used to be my finisher. Really? Yeah. And I was working at a Halloween, I was doing a Halloween show in Atlanta. And I hit the DT and I didn't know that Jake the Snake was there. Really? So, and I'm sure I'm sure he's I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but it's one of my favorite memories of myself as a wrestler. So he, so he's there somewhere. No one tells me I'm huge. I'm huge. I'm a huge Jake Snake fan, by the way. Like Jake Snake's like one of my favorite all time wrestlers, which oh, yeah. is why, which is part of the reason I was using DDT as a finish. Oh, yeah. Even though people kept telling me, "Oh, you can't use DDT as a finish." In the new era, you just can't because it just doesn't it doesn't uh, work, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So uh, I was like, whatever. So I do the DDT, win the match, and I'm walking, minding my business, and out of nowhere, like, Jake the Snake comes out and gives me a hug. <laughs> and, like, you know, this is all that DDT was awesome, and you won with it the way you're supposed to. That's a that's a good DDT. It's a real DDT. And I was just like, listen, I don't care if he doesn't remember this. I'm gonna remember this forever. Here's the thing about these kind of interviews: you never know who they who ends up hearing them. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, that's why I'm doing a wee bit of editing too. You know, I'm not gonna wait. Wait, what year was this? I don't know. 2013, 14, maybe 14, maybe 2014. I want to say. Mm, okay, you probably might remember it. So when did Trevor Eon come about? Kinda, kinda like I want to say my first like couple months of the training, I was already kind of trying to figure out like how I wanted to present myself. And don't get me wrong, it took all the way until like a couple years ago to really come together the way it's supposed to. But I was uh like the way you see me now, I've been dreaming of that since I started, and just couldn't figure out how to do it. Couldn't figure out what to do exactly. That's all it is. And finally, I want to say like a couple of years ago, it just kind of clicked. And I was like, I should do this. And I should do this. And I should do this. And I, but I was following all these arbitrary rules because I didn't want to like 
like I didn't want to like upset any vets or whatever, or I didn't want to like make it look like I was a jerk who wouldn't listen because people would always be like, oh, you're a dark skinned black dude, don't wear dark colors because you're gonna be harder to see and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, but it doesn't make any sense for me, a dude whose entire thing is like hinged on like darkness to just come out in bright colors for no reason. I need a reason for me to wear bright blue or bright orange or whatever. See, now I have I have the reason I can do those things, but back then I didn't have it yet because I was still trying to develop. And if, if I wasn't, like, following all those rules back then, I would have developed naturally to where I am now probably way faster, and I'd probably be in a different position than I am in the industry. But I, I held myself down trying not to rock the boat, trying not to upset anybody, trying not to, like, make it look like I'm, you know, one of these young folks in wrestling who just didn't want to listen to anybody, which wasn't the case. Because, like, it's always, you always want to appear to be coachable. I have a problem of being too coachable. Like, I was taking everybody's advice to heart and trying to incorporate every single piece of advice I ever heard, ever. <laughs> and the hardest part about it is, though, when you get conflicting pieces of advice, it's going to be like, which way do I go? Uh-huh, and then you're like, okay, so I'm going to do one of these things I'm, I do is going to piss off somebody and I'm never going to get booked again. And the other thing might be the thing that, like, helps me move the needle. And I just couldn't tell which one. So I just, after a while, I started to get really irritated because then I looked at what everybody else was doing and everybody else was doing whatever they wanted and getting far. And I'm like, well, I'm doing what y'all told me to do and following all the rules and doing everything the, the supposed right way and people are telling me that I don't do enough stuff and I'm, I'm lazy or whatever and I'm like okay now I just look like a jackass because I won't learn how to do this triple German ninja flip or whatever when y'all kept telling me you don't need that to get over and I'm like well the things that people are doing to get over is that so somebody help me <laughs> What's some of the better advice you've gotten? Oh man, I think uh, I think my favorite piece of advice came from you know it actually came from my original trainer. Um, he, we were always we we're always encouraged to have like a level of legitimacy to everything we do. So try to, so you make it, so you make it as realistic as possible and then you put pro and then you add pro wrestling into it. So that's how I, so that's how I do things instead of, instead of, I guess maybe the other way where it's, where people might think just straight up, straight up sports entertainment. I'm really more of a, I kind of try to figure out how this would kind of work for real. Or take something that does work for real and then add pro wrestling to it. I think the I think the, the phrase is the phrase he always says is think shoot, then work. If that makes sense. That yeah. Actually makes a lot of sense actually, you know? Yeah. Like that's a really actually I kinda got wide eyed one you mentioned. I was like, that makes all the sense in the fucking world. Alright. So Knowing you've wrestled with um, Wrestle One Japan and also also in the UK, what's the difference between wrestling overseas and, the, and in the US? Uh, man, the number one thing, especially between here and Japan, is is respect, man. That's the number one thing. Not and not just and not just between wrestlers. I'm talking about just with the fans. They and and even with like the general population, there's no like. <laughs> you do that fake stuff. Like it's none of that. It's all it's all respect. It's all you know, we appreciate what you do. You guys are great. Like we we don't care about the I don't necessarily see I didn't necessarily see people like caring about like the ins and outs and all this. They were really more concerned with, you know, this is, is this gonna be a good match? Are these guys good wrestlers? I don't like this guy, I don't like that guy, and that made me super duper duper happy as far as the fans go but then with the wrestlers even just from a training standpoint like we trained like we did everything we we did lots of cardio we did we did shoot wrestling we did shoot wrestling submissions takedowns 
uh, we did pro wrestling with bumps and hitting the ropes and all this. Like we did everything. And 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 my favorite, my my number one favorite thing about all this is you had to be good in training to be on the show. You had to excel at training first. You couldn't just well, you've been training for. A year, we're gonna throw you in a match. Now. No, you had to be good at training. Like you had to be put through your paces. You had to show that you you could, you know, handle it. And we don't so much have that here. I wish we did. Uh, there would be a lot less like, you know, guys who probably shouldn't be on the show, on shows. There'd be a lot less. I think there'd be a lot less shitheads in wrestling if we made it so that they didn't make it to <laughs> to the point where they could be on shows or have any kind of power. And, people, and you know what, like, I think people would respect it more because I was kind of trained like that. Like, I had to show my trainer at training that I could handle being on the show, that I could handle being in a match, that I had the cardio, that I looked good, that I was ready to tell a story, that I was ready to wrestle, that I was ready to make, to make them proud and not make the school look bad by going out and being terrible. So, I don't see so much, I don't see as much of that, or I haven't. And uh, I that that's all I saw when I was in Japan. It was it was great. Like I felt right at home. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> so would you say did they, did you see like any anybody with like young boys and everything? Uh yeah, I, I, at least I'm assuming I did. Yeah. Yeah. You think that could work here in the U.S. or with the egos over here? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, because it'd be very, it'd be very, it'd be very, very hard. Like I, because even right now, like I'm thinking, I'm going on ten years, and I'm thinking about like, you know what? If I had to like be a young boy, even at 33, starting over, and going to Japan and earning my way that way, I would totally do it by all means. Like no, I would fucking, I put all everything I've done, everything I know to the side, and I would start over and do what needs to be done so that I can be like a mainstay in Japan. Like, Alright, so between speaking out and calling a racist, you know, the thing that Berenson and his buddy are doing, yeah. COVID-19, would you say that the business would go through, is going through an overhaul right now? Yeah, yeah. And I hope that, I hope it keeps, I hope it continues, like, because a lot of these people, a lot of these people should have never gotten in to begin with, but wrestling is kind of a carny business. I get it. So, you know, those kind of people will get attracted to something like this because they can kind of control it and they can get over on folks but I'm glad that people are not going to take that anymore like I I haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of shit because I kind of stated myself like I hang out with the people I know that I'm friends with and I don't really fuck with nobody else and to, to my detriment because I don't go and try to like make super friends with everybody and I end up you know not being booked or left off the card or whatever or not looked at for the big match because you don't you're not as good friends with me as you are with this guy or whatever, but I'm just not the kind of person to, like, I make friends by accident. I don't ever, I'm, I'm, I guess, I guess, I guess this is going to sound, this is going to sound bad, but I guess I'm awful at networking. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I do my best, but I'm pretty bad at it. But when you stick to yourself, then you look around and you see what's around you. You're just like, man, I'm glad I didn't, Glad I didn't get to know that guy because he was a piece of shit. Like some of those, some of those names, when some of that stuff came out, I'm like, I knew that dude gave me a weird feeling. I ain't know why, but I knew something about him wasn't right. I just couldn't, you know, put my finger on it. And now that y'all are saying this and that about him, okay, I see it. Exactly. You know, like I don't know. On the hypothetical, like, what if you were the kind of grouper guy just hanging out with everybody? And a picture services with you, Joey Ryan, Jimmy Havoc, and gentleman Jack Gallagher. And then all of a sudden, and then that comes out, and they're like, "Well, did you know about this?" And chances yeah. are, chances are, I wouldn't. I don't even know like what my real friends do all exactly. the time. Exactly. So, so. And that, and that's the part that sucks too. You're just like, man, you know, like you're my peoples. I hang out with you all the time, and this is the kind of shit you do when I'm not looking. Like, what the fuck? Exactly. You know, and it's quite terrifying. You know. Yeah, because you because sometimes you sometimes you never know. It might be somebody that was super cool and then you just never know that they just are the way they are since you've been across the globe and whatnot and you have like a wider view than a lot of guys that kind of stick you know to certain regions and whatnot do you think there will ever be a time where wwe won't be as much of a 
priority for wrestlers as it was now or in the past? I feel like it's uh it's kind of turned out to be like that now. Either that or people are lying. Like I know a lot of people are saying that oh I don't I don't care if I ever go there or whatever. Like which even though like I really want to be you know regular in Japan, I still don't know that I would. That I don't see how you could not see you know like WrestleMania and want to and not want to be a part of it at least once. Oh yeah. So it's uh but it looks. I mean, things look good. It looks like a lot of people are able to make a living without ever having gone there. I feel like somebody like me, like I need, I need at least a year under that banner so that I can like, even if they're just like, okay, we don't like you anymore at the end of the year, I can maybe go and try to use that to like become something bigger. Cause you know, I mean, I've been out here grinding on the indies for, I'm pushing 10 years, it'll be 10 years in November and there's people starting wrestling, you know, they started wrestling two years ago, and they're already, like, on every big show, wrestling every big name, on everybody's radar, and I'm like, hey, I've been wrestling 10 years, guys. I'm in good shape, and I can talk. Help me out. <laughs> so, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You never know. One thing I miss in wrestling is this, the element of surprise, right? Like, for example, Royal Rumble, I really feel like have some people you would never expect to ever show up, like including some indie guys, right? I was yeah. like, holy shit, you know? You know, some hell freeze over moments, you know? Like, on the hypothetical, if they, when Kenny Omega was, you know, was done with New Japan around the same time as Royal Rumble, could you imagine if he fucking ran in there? I thought it was going to happen. I ain't even going to lie. Me too. And I'm like, and I admit I was a wee bit disappointed because, remember AJ Styles made his de- debut there? Yeah, 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 I remember that. You have videos of people shooting reaction videos um, because they kind of felt like, is it going to be? Is it going to be? I remember the audio overmodulated. You know, mics overmodulated when that happened, you know? Oh, yeah, they did. Shit, you don't find moments like that anymore, you know? When, yeah. When I think of the Attitude Era, I don't want the homophobic shit. I want the element of surprise, like that you yeah. never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I don't. I would. I would love to see more of that. I don't. I don't want to see all that that weird shit they used to make us see. I don't see none of that shit. But, but definitely, like you know, you never know who's gonna show up. You never just that kind of shit. Yeah, that'd be great. What do you think of when fans have ideas or theories? Do you ever think, "Hey, cool," or "Oh God, I just wasted time reading that." You know, it's always it's always a it's it's double edged sword. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh god, and then other times I'm like, damn, that's a good idea. Shit, if I saw that shit, I would use it. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hey. What do you think of stuff like Botchamania, by the way? Uh, I don't, I don't like, I don't like necessarily highlighting our our mistakes. Especially when it's potentially like somebody could potentially get hurt when you, because you know we screw up. There's a there's a scary chance that there could be a huge, 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 huge injury. Somebody's whole life could be altered from something like that. And I don't take I don't take our mistakes lightly. So I'm not a. Uh, I understand why it exists, and uh, I understand it can be funny like when nobody gets hurt. And, you know, you and the other person can, like, laugh at it. Like, hey, remember that time? Because sometimes I screw stuff up and I just laugh about it. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Yeah, because I never was a big fan of Botchamania. My site was Wrestling Gone Wrong. Oh, God. You ever see that one? No. All right. That sounds sounds worse. You know what? I'll put it this way. The thing with Wrestling Gone Wrong is... It was the kind of thing where somebody said, "Oh, nobody really gets hurt." Oh my god! And they showed the, that um with um they showed a one ladder match with I forgot who it was with, but you know what I'm talking about. Who basically got his face ripped open? Jesus. You know exactly the match I'm talking about, right? It was with Eminem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where right? yeah. the damn the ladder hit him in the nose. Yeah. Jesus. So, who are your biggest influences, move set, and persona wise? So, persona wise. There's a there's a whole lot of there's a lot of Raven in me, a lot of Edge, a lot of Macho Man in a lot of ways. Not a, I think I feel like Macho Man isn't as overt as like say Raven or like 
like an edge would be. Uh, the Great Muda. Um, Sato Tanaka. Sato Tanaka is all, also belongs in the in the uh, the move category because uh, my finisher is an elbow, and it's only an elbow because of the slide D. Um, but then outside of that, as far as like, especially as far as like wrestling, I was a big, 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 big William Regal fan growing up. I loved. Uh, Nigel McGuinness was one of the first guys I really like got into when I started watching Ring of Honor. Uh, of course, um, who am I? Who am I leaving out? I love Minoru Suzuki. Like I'm, I'm just naming people who, like I watch them, and it makes me like, you know, try to I watch what they're doing, and it makes me want to like up my game somehow, or something they're doing when I watch their matches, or when I watch their matches when I was younger, I still incorporate into like what I do now. And there's still hell. There's some people. There's some people who are in the are my peers, and I and I do that. Like, you ever watched a Joe Black match before? Like Joe. Anytime I watch Joe, that instantly makes me want to be better. Any anytime. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys like that that like I've wrestled or been in the same locker room with regularly. All right, seeing that you've wrestled in Europe and also, you know, Nigel McGuinness and William Regal being influenced. You ever try to change your moveset to be a bit more European? Uh, you know, I thought about, uh, I thought about trying to do that. And since, since my, my skill set's kind of like well-rounded, like I can do a little bit of everything. Like I can wrestle on the mat all day if you want. I can punch, kick, elbow, knee all day if you want. I can just throw people around all day. It's just kind of, it's easier for me rather than like lean too far into one particular thing that I stick with like the well-rounded and just kind of be able to adjust depending on who I'm wrestling. So I don't like, I try, I'd like to pride myself on matches never really being too similar, which to my detriment too, because sometimes like I'll be, thinking about a match and not even knowing like what I want to do because I do so much stuff that I don't know what to use <laughs> or I forget that oh yeah that, that would be perfect for this and I forgot I did it because I haven't done it in like two years <laughs> it's really bad because and you know what you know what happened one day uh, a promoter or something that I was trying to get booked on a show I can't remember what show it was and I emailed him and he was like, "Well, you don't do enough. You don't do enough moves for our crowd, or something like that." And I was like, "I don't do enough moves, but all my moves look like I kill people. Like, why? What does it matter? Like, if I hit one, you're dead. Like, what are you talking about?" And I heard it like a few more times. And I got so mad that I just started doing stuff out of spite. Like, I would just do big, ridiculous moves out of spite for no reason. And um. Now it's gotten to the point where a lot of those things have become like regular things that I do because of, I like the reaction they got. And now, half the time, I can't remember what I do because I do so much. The easy, usually the easiest things for me to remember are the things that I did recently. So sometimes I have to go back and watch my own like highlights <laughs> to remember like, huh, maybe if this guy does this, I can do this. Encounter it with that just just because I can't remember all the stuff I know how to do. Oh yeah, you know I never played the same guitar solo twice in life. I never do. That's awesome. You know I got that from Frank Zappa. <laughs> but you know what? That's the that's part of the beauty of you know playing live is you can do whatever you want. It doesn't have to be exactly the way it is. So that's why we go to concerts. What's the difference between influence and just playing straight up infringement? You know what? I think uh, if you if you show if you show you know respect and let people know where you got whatever idea you have from, and even if and if possible, even like you go and you ask that person if they're if they're okay with you doing whatever it is you're doing. Like maybe you don't maybe you don't get to go that far because you don't know them. But even that, that's going to be a little more respectful than just saying, just taking something that you didn't create and telling people you created it. Because I think that's the big difference. And I think 
a lot of times that's what happens. Like people will go and say they designed something or they came up with something or whatever that they didn't. And like, like for me, me for example, like I take if I take things from older wrestlers, I try not to take anything from anybody that's active right now. Like I would never, I don't want to steal your thing if it's your thing and you do it right now. But if you're retired and I and I take something that you're known for, I would even still like tell people like, hey, such and such invented this and I adopted it from him. Or such and such came up with this and I was watching his tape and that's where I got this from. Like I started using the uh the Oyasumi was MVP's New Japan finish. Now when I did when I started using it, well the first time I did it, I put online that hey I got this from MVP when he was in New Japan. I liked it, but I bring it back because I didn't see him using it. And I ain't tagged him in the tweet, but I made sure that everybody knew that he invented that and it was his thing. And it's me that's taking it. Luckily, he gave his luckily he gave his blessing. But because if he'd have been like, "Hey, stop doing my move," I would have I stopped doing it out of respect because I ain't make I ain't come over it. But it's just little stuff like that. There's just so you, even if you're gonna like borrow something from somebody. There's respectful ways to go about it, oh, yeah. and I try to just make sure I stick to that because I don't want because I wouldn't want anybody like well I don't necessarily care, but you know you don't want to feel like you're disrespecting anybody. True, you know, one of the best arguments between appropriation versus appreciation is I was watching a show Cobra Kai right, and yeah. you had um you know Daniel he was. He was teaching what he learned from Mr. Miyagi and the Miyagi Do style, right? Meanwhile, yeah. Johnny on the other side doing Cobra Kai, right? And he blatantly said, "Good old-fashioned American karate." I was like, "The fuck? That's not how it works," you know. Yeah. And he learned the whole Cobra Kai style from, you know, from Crease, who was, you know, he learned it from like over, I think in Vietnam, right? But he never gave yeah. credit to where, you know, he kind of halfway gave credit where he learned it from. But yeah, that's where the roots, you know, get lost or anything. So I think that's a great example of appropriate for appreciation, you know? Yeah. And I've always kind of felt like if you ever do anything, make your influences proud. Yeah, yeah. And and that that's another one, too. Like, if you're going to do it, like, don't do it crappy. Don't do it half-ass. Like, really do it the right way and, like, make it look good. Make it so that if that person does see you doing this thing, they say, hey, he got that from me, but man, he he took it and made it his own, and made it cool, and made it like look great. Or at least I would think, or at least I would hope so. Oh yeah, you know. Like I keep on thinking about a lot of these, like okay, like a lot of the hardcore guys, right? When I keep on thinking about guys like Onita, Terry Funk, Abdul the Butcher, yeah. you know, guys that would just get bloody and you know just stay hardcore with it, Cactus Jack. Yeah. Sandman, New Jack, all them dudes, right? Yeah. There was a difference and there was a psychology to all the shit they did, right? Some of yeah. these trash bagger dudes, now I'm like, I don't know what the hell you think you're doing. It's like comparing Iggy Pop to Gigi Allen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Iggy hated Gigi, by the way. Yeah, we, I, don't, I don't understand why anybody would like anybody liked Gigi Allen. I know it's going to get me in trouble and Blah blah blah, but like, come on, man. There's a lot. Like, I'm a rebel too, and I like to break the rules, and I like to do whatever the fuck, and all that. But there's a fucking lie. <laughs> there is a fucking line, and a lot of these people don't seem to understand that there's a line. They think that if there is a line, then all of a sudden you're not a rebel. You're not a rebel anymore. It doesn't work like that. No. Like, cause there's a line. There's a difference between being rebel and just complete anarchic idiocy. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, Big difference. Huge difference. Huge. You know, there's a nuance, you know. Yeah. Oddly enough, when I first saw Gigi Allen, the first thing I thought of was, this guy looks like the missing link. Damn, he does kind of look like him, doesn't he? Yeah. I, always, I, can't, un I can't unsee that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I always imagined if Gigi Allen lived and kind of settled down a little bit, I always thought he would have part, would become a part of ECW for some weird reason. Jesus, I hope not. <laughs> the last the last thing we would have needed in wrestling is more people like Gigi Allen. Yes, there would have been shit and blood all over the place. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. <laughs> like pro wrestling, the thing you don't need is this right now. Yeah, exactly. 
So, all right, let's get more personal, actually, right? So, how'd you get involved with the Satanic with the Satanic Temple? Well, the temple itself—that for me, that's a fairly new thing. I um am just being part of the goth scene in Georgia. Like, I meet all kinds of. That's pretty. That's pretty much how. Like, they that that opened like my world up. So that's how I met like all the people I know who are just I guess I guess different from the norm is the right word or whatever. Like all those people, that's how I met them. So as far as like identifying as a Satanist, that's been a thing. I've been doing that since I was a kid. Not a kid, but like late teen late teens and I was kinda of figuring out myself and kinda of trying to figure out how to a good way to like live my life and not really bother nobody and keep myself disciplined or whatever. And uh, growing up, obviously, uh, Christianity ain't do it for me, and uh, the various other religions weren't like speaking to me. So I was just kind of looking for like general general rules that kind of went along with how I wanted to live as a person and. I kind of stumbled upon, I kind of stumbled upon like Satanism in my like early, early. In I like to call it like my new, my new atheist phase, because one thing I noticed about like atheists is we all go through the initial part of being an atheist where you just have to tell everybody that you're an atheist and you hate religion and and then you kind of calm down after that. But if you, when you are like that, like early in your, in your teens, or you're already kind of an idiot and kind of a jerk, <laughs> you, uh, you know, you do, you do and say a lot of like crazy shit. And that's what I did because I've been, I've been able to say that I didn't believe in a, a whatever since I was very young. And don't get me wrong, it caused me a lot of trouble. It got me in trouble a lot. I got thrown out the house. All, all kinds of my mom was always on me about it but when you go through that phase early on when you kind of get towards like your 20s you kind of grow out of it because every every new atheist kind of grows out of that and they kind of calm down and they're just like okay well religious people aren't trying to kill me or they're not bothering me then I'm not bothering them and they go their way they go their way I go my way and that's kind of where that's where I am now but initially like you met me when I was 21 or like 19 it's like, did you say Jesus? Man, you suck. Because <laughs> it was a, like, I don't know, it's a weird freeing feeling. So I've always kind of followed, like if you look at like the non-satanic statements or the satanic rules of earth, these are already rules in my head that I followed before I knew somebody gave it a title and put it under a banner. And when I found it, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So that's what I, that's a, that's a thing that you know, gels with me, and I, uh, the, the, I never joined, I never joined the Church of Satan, because one, you had to pay, so, hell no, I'm not paying, and two, they weren't actually really doing anything, so I'm just like, well, I don't need y'all to follow this path, I know what the path is, I know what the rules are, and I know why I wear these symbols and what they mean, so, I don't really need to pay anyone to do that. So I'm just not going to join. And then uh, the TST kind of became a thing. Like, I didn't even know, I didn't know what it was until I met some of the people I know personally here who are chapter heads in Atlanta or one, like one of my friends is on the National Council and they invited me to a meeting. And I was like, yeah, cool. That sounds like fun. I never heard of you guys before. And I went to the meeting and they were like, helping people, building houses and doing food drives and like walking walking women into like Planned Parenthood so that the like crazy people out there like picketing them or harassing them could get to them and stuff. And I was just like, oh, so y'all actually do stuff. He's going to see that's going to do nothing. So after seeing that, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to be a part of this. So I joined. It didn't cost anything. I just I filled out a form and uh been before COVID, I was trying to start going back to meetings again because I was living in Atlanta. I was living in New York for a while, 
and all of my friends in the TST are in Georgia. And then I moved back here. Now we're in COVID, so I hadn't been able to go to any meetings because we haven't been able to have any. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, I just kind of stumbled upon it because of mutual friends. And I went to my first meeting, ironically, in a cemetery. <laughs> and been uh, cool, cool with it ever since. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the things I believe is, to put it casually, that every action that there's a reaction right i don't really think it's a surprise well okay what do you think it's a surprise there's an influx of black people looking at the left-hand path you know no not at all i think that i'm I'm surprised it took this long to be honest with you like the more you learn about like especially the more you learn about the abrahamic religions and how they were used against us especially against black people I'm shocked that it took this long. Like sometimes even my mom's like hardcore, hardcore Baptist, hardcore Southern Baptist at that. Oh yeah. If you ever met any Southern Baptist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm black. I've run into a few. Yeah, you you kind of especially when you're black, you can't avoid it. No. And it's just man, like sometimes I think about it and I'm just like, it's just so weird that you ride so hard for this because this is a thing used to destroy us on purpose and like. I don't understand how anybody gets any comfort from that. I ain't mad at you if that's your thing, by all means. Because I tell people all the time, they're like, well, how can you, like, how can you be an agnostic atheist and identify as a Satanist and still just be cool with, like, Christians or whatever? And I'm like, well, because your beliefs have nothing to do with me. That's your personal thing with you. And whatever you believe in, that ain't got nothing to do with me. Like, I listen to plenty of hip-hop artists who are obviously Christian, and they talk about it in their songs or whatever. It don't bother me. Like, if I'm listening to you, and that's part of your story, I'm okay with hearing it. Like, it's not, you're not telling me to go join Jesus or I'm going to burn in hell, as I've heard so many times. So it's not, I don't care. But I think a lot of people think that because you identify a certain way or because you don't care since I'm, I'm agnostic atheist. I lack these beliefs that they think that that means that I'm, you know, har har har. I'm harping on you about it. I really don't care personally. Like I'm not nothing. Whatever you believe in is fine. By all means, have at. As long as you're not trying to kill nobody, trying to take nobody rights away. Damn, you fucking you can believe you're the reincarnation of Super Shredder, and I will totally let you uh, do your thing. By all means. You think that's a little bit of projection, though, like since they're used to evangelizing, judging everybody, so they think, well, if I do that, they're going to do that to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I think people absolutely do that. They think that because they do it or they were doing it, that you're eventually going to do it, and they can't fathom you not being like that because they're just like, well, if you're, if you're an atheist and I'm a believer in whatever – and that must mean we must be enemies. And I'm like, not really. Like, I'm not going to bother you if you don't bother me. And by bother me, I mean you'd have to try to take my rights away. You'd have to try to tell me that, hey, if you if you don't believe in this, I'm going to kill you. Or, hey, if you don't believe in this, you can't have this job or you can't live your life. Then, yeah, we don't have a problem. But outside of that, oh, damn. Even if you think I'm going to burn in hell or whatever, I don't care. Whatever. It's fine with me. <laughs> I'm at it. Okay, has being more open about, you know, your beliefs or the philosophy you follow and everything caused any harassment backstage? Oh, dear God, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Um, like, anybody, who, anybody who's seen me knows that I generally have, like, some kind of logo or symbol or satanic symbol or something on me pretty much at all times. Like, and just wearing a necklace... And not talking to anybody about it was enough to get, like, rumors started about me. It's got me kicked off shows, like, all kinds of stupid stuff. And even now, like, I think that even though wrestling's, like, obviously becoming more progressive, which is great, good for all of us, that's still a thing that causes me problems, especially being black. That's still a thing that causes me trouble. Like, people might be like, oh, yeah, cool, black wrestler who's kind of dark. But the second they see that damn sigil of Baphomet around my neck, they're like, oh. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's not cool. And I'm like, oh, all right, well, 
Well, I'm still, I'm still black. I'm still a wrestler. I'm still going through the same fights you're going through, even if I don't believe in the same thing you believe in. And I, and you know, like I can't, I can't really be mad because I did it to myself. But at the same time, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm not hurting nobody, and I'm not like causing any trouble, then what difference does it really make? And no matter how many times I tell myself that, I still feel like a lot of times when certain things happen and my name don't get mentioned, that's probably why. And I accept that that's how things are going to be, and that's probably how all, all, that's probably how things are always going to be. But I hope that maybe when I'm gone, that whoever shows up behind me and is on a similar path ends up doing more with it than I could. Hmm. Yeah, because I remember, you know, seeing some things. Well, I'm kind of babbling right now because I remember seeing a couple of symbols. I'm like, oh, shit, he about that life. I didn't think anything else of it, though. Like, I was pretty yeah. cool, you know? You know? It's, it's funny, too, because a lot of people, a lot of these folks, I see them like they were wearing, like, you know, the black craft shirts and all that. And I'm just like, what do you what do you think that thing on the black craft shirt is? Do you think that's just a cute little symbol for you to scare your parents? Like, no, that's that's. A, that's a part of that's a symbol that's a part of somebody's philosophy that we actually care about that we actually follow. Yeah, I'd appreciate if you didn't wear that if you weren't about that life. But what can I do? I can't like rip it off you and say, "Hey, don't do that." But I, I, it's been plenty of times I met people at wrestling shows and they come up to me wearing a black crap hoodie and I'm like, "Oh, oh, you're Satan is cool." And they're like, "Oh no, this is just a black craft shirt." And I'm like. Do you not know what face. that fucking means? Just, I think it's weird that you want to wear a symbol and you don't know what it is. That's weird. Like, I love Norse mythology, but I don't walk around with the runes on me. Exactly, you know? <laughs> it's just it's weird. Alright, this shows my kind of sixth sense of humor. Alright. Remember when, like, a lot of black kids, a lot of black kids back in 2006, 2007 were, were in banties of bands they didn't listen to or anything? Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. Jesus, there was a <laughs> there was a mean spirit aside of me that that kind of wished that bands a screwdriver had like a t-shirt line. And you, you know what? I totally understand why you feel that way. I kind of wish they did, just so like just for the confused looks. I just think it's weird, like, and you know, I got into it with a dude online one time who's like, "You can't tell people what to wear," and do and I'm like, "Bro, I'm not trying to tell people what to wear. All I'm saying is." You're a poser if you're wearing a shirt for something you don't actually support. That's stupid. Why would you do that? And that's probably going to give me heat, too, because, oh, you can you can call people a poser. Well, that's what you call it when you're faking the funk. You're a poser. Right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, like, listen, because I think about guys like you, and I know many guys, you know, many people, actually, that are on the left-hand path, and they, they're not contoured to families anymore, right? So when you were this black craft shit, you know, you know, I, I think about like all those guys that you know are in contact with, are in contact with their families anymore because of their beliefs and everything, right? So I kind of feel like it's a slap in their face, you know? Yeah, me and my mom didn't talk for like six years, like almost six years, just because of that. Because and like I'm talking, the whole family came down on me about it. Like I was getting phone calls from some everybody, and it's funny too because I was straight edge at the time. I'm not straight edge anymore, but I was straight edge at the time, and uh. So I didn't drink. I still I still don't do drugs, but I drink now at least. And at the time, I didn't drink and smoke. I didn't do drugs, nothing. And I'm sitting here like I'm. Y'all are saying I'm the bad influence, but I'm the one who's going after his dreams, training every day, working real hard, telling everybody to be themselves. And I don't drink, smoke, or do drugs. And I'm sitting here like, but I'm the bad guy because you don't like this goat head around my neck. Y'all crazy. Exactly. But it happened. It happened. And a lot of these, and I know a lot of these kids, especially these younger folks, are probably just trying to scare their parents or whatever. No, it's a phase and they'll grow out of it. And that's cool, but there are there's some there's some things like there's some some symbols or some stuff that you wear where people will roll up on you for that. Like you you don't see these people out here trying to wear cripping cripping blood rags. No. So why do you why do you think Anything else be any different? I don't walk around with crosses on me because I'm not Christian. Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's weird. It's it's really weird to want to like represent something that you don't represent. 
It's really strange to me. I don't understand that. Yeah, because I remember like the whole shock thing with the pentagram or the Baphomet or whatever, right? But then yeah. I started to see people as like, you know, they're really bad at life and they have the Leviathan cross and everything, right? Yeah. And I'm like, that's when you're really serious about it, right? So yeah. I don't want to see that appropriated because I'm like, dude, uh, yeah, that's not cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's just, it's weird. Like, why would you want to wear something that you don't even know what it is? Or you don't, or you're not part of that, or you're not about it. It's I don't, it don't make no sense to me. And I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up in like hip hop culture where that wasn't that was frowned upon. <laughs> so, and I guess that carried over. Like you don't, you don't do that. Same way you don't just copy outright copy nobody's style. That's biting. Like when I was coming up, like you know, I used to watch like a lot of daytime TV. Okay, bad example, right? Or they'll they'll talk witchcraft or wicker or whatever you want to call it, though, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was this term for people who admitted that they were involved with witchcraft. They called it come out of the broom closet. Is there like a similar term in Satanism? Uh, not that I know of, but there should be. (laughs) That might be my favorite, favorite random term I've heard in a long time. Coming out of the broom closet. (laughs) That's great wordplay, though. Yeah, right? I'm a fan. Okay, with guys like Balls Mahoney, Father James Mitchell, and... And Alistair Black, do you think there's ever, do you think there might be room, you know, for an openly black satanic wrestler? You know, I hope so. Because um, I've they never seen that before. Yeah, I may be, I might be the first one to be like, but the way I am about it, I doubt I'm the first one. If I am, I'll take it. Great, but I doubt it. And uh, I just might be the first one to admit it. Out loud to everybody, because I just—that's just how I always, I've always lived my life. So I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna go into hiding because I decided to be a pro wrestler. It's weird, and uh, I think that I'm not gonna like. I got really excited when WWE signed Aleister Black, or he was Tommy End at the time, and I was, I was already a huge fan of his because he's a super dope wrestler. But then you know, looking at the symbols and stuff that he wears, and that like. You know, it's legit. He's actually about that. I was like, oh, they signed him? And they didn't, like, say, hey, you got to stop that? No, they let him. They signed him as, you know, as he is. And he came in the same way he was. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's good for that, – that's definitely a good thing for uh, for guys like me who are the same way. But, you know, that, that caveat of me being black may, uh, may, you know, make it a little – a little harder still just because but too late to turn back now right oh, <laughs> i've already admitted it you know you know because i was thinking about that because i was like you know because i always thought like because i remember you mentioned a while back you know you started mentioning on twitter and everything right and remember the new day was basically like because they weren't always like you know just positive black guys like it was dare i say they looked like a pack of youth ministers oh i remember that you know, in fact, I remember they were that. a new day. In fact, that is kind of Kirk Franklin-y kind of theme song and everything. Yeah, that's why their song is like that, you know, clappy like. Exactly. You know, uh, and I always thought it'd be kind of cool, basically, to see like I don't know. But here's another good question too. Where's okay? Where where does the line draw between exploitive and engaging? I think if it it became too unrealistic and too ridiculous. Then it starts to feel exploitative, especially if it's dumb. Like, if we're like trying to sacrifice them and hang them upside down, then yeah, okay, it's goofy. But if we're we're having an ideological difference that happens to result in a wrestling match, that happens to oh well, you know, I don't like you because this, this, and this, but also you're the champion, and I want to be the champion, and I'm a better representative than you because this, then it starts to sound way more engaging as opposed to we're going to come to your house and eat your babies and doobie doobie doobie, you know, really goofy, like stupid stuff. That's embarrassing, you know, because I'm like, yeah, because I, I came up with Kevin Sullivan too, actually, you know, like, good gracious, that guy gets shit on too for stuff he didn't even do, you know? Right. Hey, yeah, remember those dumbass Ben Wall rumor? Oh, those things, those are, I think those things are still floating around now. People are weird. Oh, really? <laughs> Listen, Solomon's been the fucking fishing business for God knows how long. He wasn't even near Georgia, so leave him alone. Is that what he does? Yeah, he, yeah, he won the shrimp business or something like that. 
That's so random. Such a random thing. I always get fascinated too when like guys get out of business and they go into something totally different. You know? Look, man, I've been I've been thinking about that since I started. Like, man, what am I gonna do? Shoot. <laughs> like certain guys, like I see the logical transition. Certain stuff makes sense. Yeah. But um, okay. But other stuff, I'm like, wow, I'm talking about 180, you know? Uh-huh, yeah, seriously. Like, a lot of wrestlers doing the podcasting, right? Which makes sense, because half of the time, you're, if you're a wrestler, usually you're on the mic talking, right? Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, You know, it makes sense. But it's like, when I see somebody going totally different field, I'm like, all right, wow, that caught me off guard. Cool. And you end up like a, like a, like a school teacher or something. Hey, um, remember the Basham Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, remember the black S&M chick? Yeah. She wanted an uh, education, you know? Really? Yeah. Mike Jones. He was a math teacher, actually, you know? What? That's shoot. really um, cool, actually. What's the other guy's name? Um, You know, dude, uh, Shane Douglas. He actually was, you know, he. I think he was teaching English for a second. Huh. So a lot of those guys go into education, I notice, you know? That's crazy. I guess you just never know, right? Exactly, you know? Once again, Trev, thank you so much, you know. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem, you know. Thanks. All right. Peace. All all right. All right. That was Trevor Eon. Would love to have him on in a future episode. This time, I'll make sure the record button's on.